Opinion Battlegrounds with Terence Fane Saunders. Brought to you by Chelgate, International Strategic Issues Management Consultants. Hello. Welcome back to Opinion Battlegrounds. My name is Terence Fane Saunders and I'm Executive Chairman of Chelgate, an international strategic PR, issues and crisis management consultancy. Every two weeks, I am usually joined by a couple of chums to talk about the battles for opinion raging all around us. Whether it's governments, businesses, politicians or causes, they all have some interest in managing your opinion. And when necessary, they'll fight tooth and nail to win that battle for control. Many will do so with honour and decency, advancing their arguments, presenting their case with hmm, integrity and truth. Whether we agree with them or disagree, here at Chalgate we applaud where they're coming from. But others... Hmm. Let's be as polite as we can. Others are deceitful little poisonous vermin, happy to use fake news, pump out lies and toxic information, twist the facts and warp the arguments. Oh well, all part of life's rich tapestry, I suppose. But time for us to sprinkle a little anti-vermin dust. Here at Opinion Battlegrounds, we're going to be looking at these wars for your opinion, examining the arguments and taking a closer look at the competence, the techniques, the strategies, tricks and gambits they are employing. We'll try not to take sides, but we will certainly be taking a view on the way they present their case. I say I'm usually joined by a couple of chums, but not today. Today is one of our single subject podcast specials. And I am flying solo, a kind of self-induced isolation, which I suppose may be good practice. Even Hector the dog, who likes to keep me company on these occasions, is away visiting canine amigos. So here we are, just you, me, and the virus. COVID-19 to its friends, corona to the rest of us, because... My word, there's a messy and chaotic opinion battle developing here, isn't there? Loosely, on one side, are the Don't Panic Brigade, an entirely worthy and responsible position to take. But it was never going to work. Listen, just for one moment, do not, for even a second, allow yourself to think about an elephant. Don't do it. No elephant. <laughs> you see, you couldn't help yourself. There was the elephant in your mind. And now, don't panic. What's the word most people hear? Don't or panic. Panic? Did you say panic? So the supermarket shelves are being stripped of hand gels, soap, paracetamol, ibuprofen, lavatory paper, pasta and baked beans. We are in early stages of crisis mode. So if on the one hand, there's the don't panic brigade on the other, I wouldn't call them doomsters and gloomsters. And it would be unfair to say they are spreading panic, but they are saying this could get very, very, very much worse. And they argue that we're not doing enough. Most of these voices seem actually to be coming from the scientific community but they're getting short shrift from that high priest of science, Elon Musk. 
the coronavirus panic, he says, is done. But if these are the two perfectly respectable opposite camps glaring at each other across this opinion battleground, I'm afraid we also have to take a sideways glance at the grubby gaggle of rumor merchants and fake fact aficionados who have set up camp right in the middle of this debate. The best of them are simply idiots. Others have conspiracy psychosis driving them to drool hungrily over every mad plot or conspiracy theory. Then there are the snake oil profiteers offering faked cure and dishonest prevention at the wave of your credit card. And then we mustn't forget the brainless chirruping of the Twitter flock, tweeting and retweeting every inane rumor, theory, and gobbit of advice that comes into their bird-brained heads. And more sinister, of course, is the suggestion that many of these mad rumors are the work of evil foreign powers, determined to spread fear and chaos. In fact, just last week, a senior U.S. State Department officer, Lee Gabriel, told Congress that Russia was behind swarms of online fake personas spreading coronavirus falsehoods and that the entire ecosystem of Russian disinformation is at play. Or maybe this itself is an attempt at disinformation. Certainly, Twitter says it hasn't identified any significant efforts by coordinated actors to spread misinformation about the coronavirus. But whoever's doing it and, and why, the inescapable fact is that this virus has created its own pandemic of lies, fantasy, and misinformation. So, very quickly, and so we don't waste too much time on this, no, Pope Francis has not tested positive for the virus. The virus was not created in some sinister Chinese or U.S. secret lab somewhere. People leaving the U.S. will not be banned from returning. Bill Gates was not somehow involved in an evil scheme to hatch the virus for personal gain. There is no secret vaccine being sat on by any government anywhere in the world. No, the virus doesn't come from bat soup. The Bureau of Diseaseology, responsible for various grim-sounding warnings in Australia, simply actually doesn't exist. And garlic soup really isn't the answer, <laughs> except that taken in sufficient quantity, I suppose it might persuade fellow travellers on public transport to keep that magic meters distance that the Italian government has declared as a kind of safety zone for restaurants and bars. And the urban myth that huge numbers of beer drinkers have stopped buying Corona beer because they thought it might give them the coronavirus is just that, an urban myth. And look, please absolutely do not believe that drinking bleach will offer a cure, as some suggest it will. It might prevent the virus killing you by killing you itself, but it won't cure you. Sigh, 
You could go on and on, but I would. The politicians, bless them, are mostly trying to strike a balance, reassuring the public that everything's under control whilst gradually ramping up the bad news feed. It's a difficult and delicate balance. And it does seem harsh and unfair to blame them if they don't get it exactly right. But you know, it's made a lot harder when political leaders go off script and think they can wing it. This is an incredibly delicate, complicated and dangerous subject. A single word misplaced, a single phrase badly constructed can start a panic or lead to a completely disastrous line of action. And so on either side of the Atlantic, leading the attempt to shape and inform your opinion, we have President Donald Trump and Prime Minister Boris Johnson. Look, I'm not a knee-jerk Trump hater, nor a Johnson rejecter. I'm sure they both have their finer points. But gosh, I wish just for now they'd shut up. First, Mr. Trump, let's go back to the beginning. So, the World Health Organization are declaring global health emergency and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention have just confirmed the first human transmission of the virus in the United States. So what does Mr. Trump have to say? We have it all under control, he tells us, adding for good measure, that is a very small problem in this country. I think we can count Donald among the don't panic brigade. The trouble with this as a communications strategy is that when events demonstrate that you are talking absolute garbage, your credibility does take a bit of a knock. Why should anyone believe the next thing you say on the matter? But then he wades in further. But he was working to a script that churns around in the Trumpian skull for a while and then emerges as a kind of stream of consciousness that might have had even James Joyce struggling for coherence. Sad, really, because he was actually making a perfectly defensible point. Maybe even an important one. And a decent enough point for the Don't Panic Brigade. What Mr. Trump was suggesting, or hoping to suggest, was that the death rate from the virus might not be as high as initial official figures suggest. And his argument was this. There are a lot of people, younger people in particular, who are barely affected by the virus at all. They feel a little off color, but nothing too bad. They carry on with life. They go to work. They're not tested. They don't report in to their doctor. And they are therefore not included in the figures for total numbers of cases. If they were, you might argue, the gross numbers would increase. But there would be no more deaths to report. So the real death percentage, if it had included these mildly infected, could be quite a lot lower. That may be wrong. It may be right. It certainly sounds a reasonable proposition. So what did Mr. Trump actually say? Here's what. 
I think the 3.4% is really a false number. Now, this is just my hunch, but based on and a lot of conversations with a lot of people that do this, because a lot of people will have this and it is very mild. They will get better very rapidly. They don't even see a doctor or call a doctor. So you never hear about those people, so you can't put them down in the category. In overall population, in terms of this coronavirus or flu, so you can't just do that. I think we are just about following his point. But then this. So if, you know, we have thousands or hundreds of thousands of people that get better just by, you know, sitting around and even going to work, some of them go to work. But they get better, and then when you do have a death like you had in the state of Washington, like you had one in California, I believe you had one in New York, you know, all of a sudden it seems like 3 or 4%, which is a very high number, as opposed to a fraction of 1%. Lord, it's like a drunk man staggering down the path towards you. You don't know whether he's planning to go left or right or stay on the path at all. He could end up anywhere, nursing a sore head in the morning. Now, if you knew what Donald was trying to say, vaguely the direction he's heading in, that yes, this sort of made sense. But if you didn't, or worse, if you were determined to misunderstand or make political capital, then the whole basket of meaning is up for grabs. But if you listen to what he said, nowhere, absolutely nowhere did he suggest that sick people with the virus ought to go to work. He suggested that they might be doing that, but never in any way did he suggest that they should or that that is a way to get better. But this didn't stop CBS, for example, from reporting in horrified tones. During a Wednesday night interview with Fox News, President Trump said he believes people infected with the novel coronavirus might get better by sitting around and even going to work. And NBC summarizes the president's rambling remarks with a headline of howling shock. Trump says it's okay to go to work when sick. No, he didn't. And, you know, these are very professional news services. I, I think we can expect them to know what he really said. So, I'm afraid it seems likely that at every grim stage of this pandemic cycle, it will be difficult to trust the news we're being given, even from the most reputable and professional sources. But for God's sake, can someone keep this president away from the microphone? In the middle of this kind of crisis, when misinformation and misunderstanding can be fatal, it's like giving a baby a loaded revolver to play with. But now, Let's leap back across the Atlantic, where Prime Minister Boris Johnson is leading his own nation's response to the virus. Here's what he said at the beginning of March. We found about 35 people in this country have or have had the illness, and clearly there may be more. This is likely now to spread a bit more. And it's vital, therefore, that people understand that we do have a great plan, a plan to tackle the spread of coronavirus. My word, that we've got a plan, a great plan, is awfully Donald Trumpish, isn't it? Consistently, from the beginning, 
Boris Johnson's tone has been resolutely upbeat. We're a great country. We have got a fantastic NHS. We've got fantastic doctors and advice, and we should simply take the advice of the NHS. People have every reason to be confident and calm about all that kind of thing, all the, uh, the coronavirus and, 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 and threats from disease. So I think we can also certainly place Boris in the don't panic brigade. But like Donald Trump, Boris Johnson is an instinctive politician. He understands the importance of symbol and of the way that actions often communicate even more strongly than words. So, not only have we seen him attending last weekend's rugby international together with his fiancée and their unborn child, we've also seen him engaged in a round of hospital visits, including to the Royal Free Hospital, where they were already nursing coronavirus patients. Stay calm. Don't panic. Nothing to be afraid of here. We have a plan. Decisive, meaningful, symbolic action by a national leader. Okay, some might say foolish, others would say brave. But certainly taking a grip on the news agenda. Except, oh dear, what is the point that he wants to drive home when he talks about these visits? Well, what he said was this. I am shaking hands. I was at a hospital the other night where I think there were coronavirus patients, and I was shaking hands with everybody. You'll be pleased to know. And I continue to shake hands. You could sense the great collective sigh from his scientific advisers. No, Boris, stop pressing the flesh. Yes, of course, wash your hands but then keep them to yourself. This virus is a killer. And one way it's being transmitted is through hand-to-hand -hand contact. Just as with Donald Trump across the pond, this situation is too complex, too damn dangerous to be going off script. But guess what? Just as with Trump, Boris Johnson's badly thought-through remarks created an opportunity for the fact-twister venomous vermin to emerge from their dark little burrows, either to construct a screaming fake headline or to plant a poisonous, dishonest political barb. So here is Newsweek howling the claim that Prime Minister Boris Johnson has boasted that he has shaken hands with coronavirus patients. And over here, Tom Peck, political sketch writer at The Independent, Johnson lied about having shaken hands with coronavirus patients on a recent trip to a hospital in blatant contravention of medical guidelines. No, he didn't, Tom. He said he went to a hospital where they had cases of coronavirus and he was shaking hands with everybody. Nobody for two seconds thought he was claiming to have shaken hands with every single person in the hospital. And only the most fevered brain could imagine that he was claiming to have penetrated the critical care curtain to inflict the Boris handshake on those wretched, cowering, desperately ill patients. He shook hands with everybody he met. And that's what he was saying. And it would take a very special kind of political bile on the brain 
to understand it otherwise. The sort of political bile we have, I'm afraid, come to expect from the Labour Party's David Lammy, who screeches into Twitter, Boris Johnson boasting about shaking hands with coronavirus patients. You could not make it up. Um, David, you did make it up. An interesting man, David Lemmy. If you follow his Twitter outpourings, you might imagine a crude, rather stupid and blindly partisan creature that had crawled out of the most toxic depths of our political sludge. But read his other writings and you find a different man. Read his book Tribes and you'll find a hugely intelligent, thoughtful examination of the nature and dangers of new forms of tribalism in the modern world. How on earth can this be the same man? Ah, oh, the marvels and mysteries of Twitter, eh? So, any government in any democratic nation anywhere on earth, if it's faced by the need to persuade and guide its people through the horrors of a crisis on this kind of scale, is going to find that the communications challenges will not be springing just from the crisis itself. There'll be a host of malign, hostile, mischievous interests looking to hurt, to damage, and to benefit from any opportunity. I'm so glad I'm not a politician. This is a horribly difficult card to play. Finding the balance between panic and complacency. As a crisis management professional, my own view is that Boris Johnson and Donald Trump have got the balance wrong. Though they have done so for perfectly good and respectable reasons. The fact is, it seems almost certain that this crisis is going to grow horribly, tragically worse before it improves. I would love to be wrong. I would hope to be wrong. But there is a grim weight of scientific and statistical expertise pointing this way. So, look ahead three or four months. If you were a government, which of these accusations would be worse? You were alarmist. You frightened the stock markets. You did too much, too soon, when it wasn't really necessary. You worried people. You caused disruption. You wasted money. Or you did too little, too late. You were complacent. You put reassurance ahead of the truth. And because you reacted too late, because all the measures you took were reactive and too late, huge numbers of people died who today might still be alive. I know which I would prefer. Sometimes cautious overreaction in a dynamic spiraling crisis is the necessary and responsible strategy. Meanwhile, to all of you, stay safe, stay well. Thank you for joining us for this special edition of Opinion Battlegrounds. We'll actually be back next week when the opinion battle we'll be discussing will be the debate over the future of the BBC. And joining us for that episode will be the distinguished broadcaster, producer, presenter, and all-round old BBC hand, Graham Pass along with my colleague, Chelgate's chief executive, Liam Herbert, who actually began his communications career at the BBC. 
We look forward to seeing you then. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for listening to Opinion Battlegrounds. Please subscribe to receive the latest episodes and you can follow us on Twitter at Chelgate or email contact at chelgate.com. Listener.